Welcome to The Human Beat. I'm Roger Rocca. Today's program focuses on Consejo Hispano, formerly the Lower Columbia Hispanic Council. In a wide-ranging conversation edited here for time, we talked about the one-stop range of help provided through Consejo Hispano, which has expanded services in Plata, Tillamook, Columbia, and Pacific counties. But our conversation also led us to immigration, to hate and intolerance, and to history. Our guests are Executive Director Jenny Poole Radway, Volunteer and Outreach Coordinator Deanna Nino, and Board Member Rosa Gilbert. Ms. Radway speaks first. We serve um, the Latinx population, the Hispanic population, and so it really makes sense um, to use the name that resonates more with the uh, community that we work with. So instead of having them say a really long name that doesn't mean much to them in English, we move to our name, Consejo Hispano, which just means Hispanic Council uh, in English. Hello, everybody. My name is Diana Nino, and I'm the volunteer and outreach coordinator at Consejo Hispano, previously the Lower Columbia Hispanic Council. And so, yeah, we not only wanted to uh, expand the area that we could, you know, potentially serve because we are growing. Our organization is rapidly growing and we didn't want to limit ourselves in that way. My name is Rosa Gilbert and I am on the board of directors as the board secretary for the Consejo Hispano. Um, and in my private life, I also work with the migrant education and English language learner programs that serve the some three of the same counties that the Consejo Hispano serves. And so some of the really wonderful programs that are happening or that are part of the Consejo Hispano's work in the community um, have been have been related to COVID, have been related to pivoting to provide basic needs and PPE for families that wouldn't have access to it, as well as translation and um, interpretation and the distilling of some really important points with regard to healthcare and safety and um, protocols. They also have um, a branch or a department or a team completely dedicated to educational liaison, to being educational liaisons between the school districts in Clatsop County and the parents to help get parents information um, and help give them a voice and um, some more involvement and um, engagement in their child's education. So that's another one of the really strong programs. There's the volunteer and outreach coordination program that brings in volunteers that want to help with the organization and help push that needle forward in the work that's done, or also just help provide something that makes them feel like they're adding value to their community, because it's certainly a wonderful way to do that. So there's those. There's also the uh, Oregon Health Plan and OHA branch um, of team that works in the Consejo Hispano that helps connect people, Hispanic or non-Hispanic, with uh, Oregon Health Plan and medical services and medical insurance, health insurance. Yes, we're also doing um, civic engagement and advocacy. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so we have a community group that meets on a monthly basis and it, their name is La Voz, which means The Voice. And they invite people running for office to come speak to them. They also help with um, census outreach pieces. Um, we also have a census assistance center right now. It's very, very important for us that the census be completed, not just for us as an organization, but for us as a community. You know, we have till the end of September, so let's make sure everyone completes the census and it's so easy to do online right now. But if you need help, you can definitely call us and we'll walk someone through the process of completing the census, either online or over the phone. We also have help with 
helping someone navigate through SNAP benefits. So if they're new to them and they're not familiar with them, we'll help you navigate the process to apply for SNAP benefits. And we're working on a youth assessment right now because we want to expand our youth programs. We offer a wonderful youth leadership camp every year. We hope to expand more of our youth services here as well. So that's another piece where we're doing some more work. And we also offer membership services. So community members, Latinx community members can come and pay for a membership and get a variety of services that are listed on our website as well. Uh, another thing that we do is that we understand how important it is to collaborate with other organizations, other nonprofits, other community organizations that, you know, they're all doing the work. And so we go to meetings. Um, now they're through video, but we go on to meetings in Tillamook and Columbia County and here in Clatsop and just try to understand what other organizations are doing and how we can collaborate and how we can all kind of help each other because you know there's only so many of us and <laughs> sometimes we need a lot of more expansion so that people can get the help that they need it's not just about that we speak spanish often and it, it you know it's okay if people believe that, like oh you know that such and such person speaks spanish they can help you out but then sometimes a lot of that help is not just speaking in a language that they understand but also understanding the culture that they come from or the difference between what it is to tackle that problem or that situation in Latin America and what it is to tackle it here. A lot of the work that we do is actually that interpreting process for healthcare and for um, social services and all of these things that it takes a little bit of explaining, not just translating the information as is. One of the, the finer points of what Deanna's saying about the levels of interpreting is it's, it's really about, it's something that I think all people sometimes need. You'll get a document issued by the Oregon Health Authority or by the Oregon Department of Education or even by the superintendent of your child's school or the principal. And you read it and it's a two page document and it's dense, dense with edge speak. It's dense with vocabulary focused primarily on those who are in the career, healthcare career or those who are in other careers. And it's not about interpreting as much as it's about creating a meaningful communication that's culturally relevant for those families so that they can actually not just understand but gain meaning out of it in terms of the importance in their life, in terms of how it will affect their future, in terms of how it's affecting them today, and in terms of what kind of decisions and how to navigate and just learn about things in, in, a, in a place where really it's, it's not always designed with the, it's not always designed for, for people who maybe can't sit through a two-page document written by Oregon Department of Education to figure out what the new rules are around how to go to school in person. It's really about taking that, distilling it, creating meaning, and then sharing that with families. And that's the essence of what Diana was sharing. And that's the essence of what the Consejo Hispano does in all of these aspects. I love how you, you talked about that it's, it's one center for lots of different little siloed, separated um, services because that really makes me think about the logo and the rebranding process that happened and how, um, you know, in the, the new logo, there's a center circle and there's all these little circles around it, kind of like pin cushions. And each one of those represents all the different Lat Latino cultures that exist. But also that could, that could easily be transferred to what you're saying. All the different services and all the different places where Hispanics may feel isolated or under-informed can come and converge to the Consejo Hispano so that they can get in one place 
um, somebody who's culturally responsive and able to give them meaning and understanding and what they need and how they can get that. You talked about earlier uh, a little bit about uh, the census. And I'm wondering how that's going this year and whether there is, uh, are any special problems with that in getting people to sign up. Is there a trust, you mentioned trust earlier as well, how important trust is. Everything seems to be kind of fraught right now with, uh, with political push and pull. And I'm just wondering how that may be affecting your ability to, to get people to sign up for the census, which is pretty important. It is, and it, and it is very fraught right now. Um, I find that we're having less of an issue working with the Hispanic community and getting them to trust us because we've been around for so long and they're used to working with us and they know that we wouldn't put them in a compromising position. Um, what I'm seeing more is people who are not Hispanic having a lot of issues trusting the government or saying things like, um, well, they already know they're undercounting us. Why can't they just use that data? Um, and if only <laughs> it worked that way, right? But um, that's not how bureaucracy works. And so it's, it's key in it. And, and it's very interesting to see how um, the, the dynamic that we have within the Latinx community where we're a trusted entity doesn't seem to be happening as much for the broader community. Like I haven't seen another organization that is that trusted entity where they've been working on civic education and advocacy and um, really promoting the importance of this. And so that is a little concerning because we don't have um, that role in the community as a whole, but very much in a smaller community within a small community. Um, so it's, it's a little concerning because we're only at a 53% response rate um, for our county and, and that's, that really affects us in representation sure. uh, in Washington and also financially for our county and it affects us for the next 10 years. I like to um, remind people that for 500 people that we don't count in the census, we lose out on $7 million. You know, you don't have to give them all the information, but some answering at least five of the questions is more beneficial than answering none. So you have a board of directors and a staff of 10. Mm -hmm. What uh, does, does the staff have specialties, each of them, or how does that work? The staff has specialties, and yet they're also rock stars because they're able to pick up wherever it's needed. So, you know, it's it's none of our and all of our responsibilities. For example, our upcoming Hispanic Heritage Month celebrations and the Day of the Dead celebration, um, it's not on anyone's particular plate. We just all jump in and, and help out because it's, no one has a dedicated job to doing events and running them and that kind of thing, but we all take a piece um, regardless of what your position is. So yes, while we have um, staff that are dedicated to OHP, they're also helping out plan our events uh, and they also help um, get out the word about things and outreach and wherever you know it's, it's very much a small staff learns to pitch in and so when our offices are open sometimes you'll see me at the front desk while someone's at lunch as well so it's really uh, important that we all chip in and that I'm always very very thankful for my staff because they are just so very talented and willing to dive in where help is needed. Tell us what's going to happen this year with Day of the Dead, speaking of adapting. Well, so um, first we have Hispanic Heritage Month, which begins September 15th and ends October 16th, which leads right into Day of the Dead, which is November 2nd. Um, so this year we're going to move our celebration online. We're going to do a variety of um, 
online videos for different crafts and activities that the whole family can participate in. People will need to sign up ahead of time to receive a kit with all the tools that they'll need to put together. Whatever activity is happening, we have about eight different activities um, to celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month, and we also have them to celebrate Day of the Dead. It will involve some contests. So for example, we're having for Day of the Dead, um, we'll distribute kits for uh, makeup so that people can do their Katrina or Katrin uh, makeup for Day of the Dead. And um, they'll need to submit their pictures ahead of time. And the pictures that get the most votes on Facebook will, will win the contest. So we're very excited about that. And we also have already confirmed uh, Milagro Theater, which is out of Portland will be doing a show for us October 7th at 6.30 p.m. Um, via Zoom and, and YouTube. So there'll be private groups uh, that you can also sign up for ahead of time. But everything that we're having is completely free. We just want everyone to celebrate with us and engage with us. And that, that theater show, show um, on October 7th is called Blast Off. It's based on um, the first female Latina astronaut, Ellen Ochoa. So we're very excited to have that. We hope to have a couple other shows to offer people as well. We'll um, publish on our Facebook and our Instagram on our website how people can sign up. And we hope that even if um, Hispanic heritage is not part of who you are, we still welcome you to participate because I think it'll be a lot of fun. We'll have even um, make your own piñata kits. So <laughs> that might be <laughs> very interesting. Well, I was going to ask how one would sign up, and you partially answered that, but let us know about your website. What is the web address and your Facebook page and so on? Website is consejohispano.org. Um, you can find us on Facebook under Consejo Hispano as well. What has changed in the past couple of years? Has Have your have the issues that you're dealing with uh, changed at all, or are they pretty much consistent uh, over, over the years? Uh, are new things coming up that haven't? haven't been an issue before? Latinos, um, with the help of organizations like the Consejo Hispano, are beginning to, um, to see for the first time just sort of what they're missing out on because of those different um, barriers that exist to them having access to information. And I say that in the spirit of, I think something about, wonderful about the American ethic is that we tend to be resourceful. We tend to bootstrap and we can come and we're hard workers and everybody who lives in a community like um, Astoria or Clatsop or Columbia or Tillamook considers themselves, I would say, a hard worker, a resourceful person, someone who doesn't have to lean on agencies or maybe isn't, doesn't like to lean on agencies for outside support to support their family. And Latinos very much have that same ethic and that same just drive to not reach out. And because of that partnered with um, the language barrier um, until COVID and until these last few years when, um, when families became maybe a little more heightened to crisis and being in the crisis mode more often, they weren't aware of all of the things that are available to them. They, they maybe didn't know that rental assistance was available through Clatsop Community Action. They maybe didn't know that there are several churches that regularly have food, dispense, food, food dispensaries for families regardless of whether you're Hispanic or not. They maybe didn't know about the fact that there's emergency um, health care available through OHP or that there are a myriad of services that they just didn't realize existed until these last few years when you can kind of 
um, I'm trying to be very careful about how I politically say this, but where, um, where maybe there's been a little bit more pressure and light shed on some of the disparities, especially these last few months with COVID. So that's a way that I can see that the community is changing. There's, it's, um, it's an awakening to what's available and it's an awakening to um, what just as a human, um, you might have the right to, to be able to ask for help when you need it because you are a hard worker, because you deserve that. We're in a country that's sharply divided right now and divided a lot by anger and so on. And in the course of that, Hispanics have been, in many cases, vilified. There have been actions taken that have worked to the disadvantage of Hispanic immigrants, like the attempts to end the, you know, the program for the Dreamers and so on. And I guess I'm just wondering if you have anything that you are willing to talk about, about that situation, about, about how things have gone and about what we might do about it. I think that hate and intolerance is most often fueled by fear and fear comes from ignorance. What you don't know, you fear. What you don't know, you attack. Something that I often bring up because it's not well known, it's that even if somebody is undocumented and doesn't have a social security number, they still pay taxes. And often people think, oh, they're coming here because they're gonna take advantage of the system. No, they're not. They're paying taxes and they're not getting any social security benefits for them. If someone comes here, they're undocumented and they work for 20 years, they've paid taxes for 20 years and they're not getting a cent from social security when they retire. So that's something that most people who say, oh, they're coming here and they're taking advantage. They don't know about that. And I can't blame them for that, but I know that that fear and that resistance and that hatred comes from ignorance because they don't know that people are paying taxes. Yeah. Like Rosa said, it's a matter of pride. They don't, they're here to work hard, work hard, make my money and, you know, bring up my kids. The other, the other thing I would say is that as anybody who is a parent who has children, it just seems to me would have a hard time wrapping their mind around the separation of kids and parents that's happened at the border. And I think for our community, it's more of being reminded that we're often dehumanized and it's so easy to dehumanize us and treat us as subhumans. When we, when we cast our boat, we're, we're really in a position to make a difference and that will affect thousands of children and thousands of families that are put in this awful situation. And you, I think you can tell how impassioned we are about um, the issues that are going on and the community that we serve. But the other piece, uh, as, as Deanna was, was speaking about this, that came to mind for me, is that when we're talking about COVID, a lot of the his local Hispanic community are the people who are the essential workers who are showing up and making sure that we're still fed and we still have access to food and groceries and that kind of thing. And when they ask for basic safety measures to be put in place in their employment situation, and then they're vilified because the employer doesn't take care of that, and then there's an outbreak, it just really gets puts you in a, in a situation of it's always lose-lose. We're, we're the bad guys because we're taking the jobs that no one wants and keeping the economy going 
and at the same time we're the bad guys because oh we got sick for continuing to do something that is very needed in our community i wish there was more compassion and empathy going on in the world right now that would be so lovely to see so helpful i think too when people immigrate into this country and do it in an undocumented manner they're doing it because the united states has historically interfered in other countries affairs specifically in latin america because of the monroe doctrine because we gave ourselves the entitlement of of saying this is our area we're we're going to take care of all of the americas um, so you know when we see immigrants from guatemala we need to look at the historical consequences that we've put in place as a nation where our presidents meddled and did and undid and then leaves the country in such a situation that the parents are, I mean, thinking about it as a parent, are desperate enough to walk thousands of miles with their children on their backs without any assurance of what will happen when they come here because it's still the hope is that it'll still be better than the situation that they're currently in. And we may think to ourselves, that has nothing to do with me. But it does because our nation has meddled so much in other nations that we've affected the situation that they're in right now. And as much as we like to think that we're the heroes, as, as the United Nations is a hero, it, it can be. But it has also created a lot of chaos and sometimes we need to own up to that chaos and that responsibility and say, we messed up. And so now what do we do to fix it? And like Diana said, we, you know, our community members all pay taxes, whether they're documented or undocumented. And not only do they not have access to social security, retirement services, they don't have access to any social service benefits if they don't have documentation. I, I want to add that not only do these workers pay taxes, they also pay rent for property owners. They also pay electric bills. They also pay, they also pay cable bills. They also pay internet bills. They also shop at local markets. They also shop at the farmer's market. They also shop at Safeway, at Fred Meyer, at, at Walmart, now that Walmart's there, and at Costco. And these are all other ways that that income and that part of their economic contribution to our community as a whole is just larger than they're here to take jobs. You know, they're here to suck off the system because those are all things that if you, that, that maybe you don't know, that you don't consider about that, about, about the Hispanic community. And one of the things I think about when I'm a, I'm a parent um, and I think about when I think about parent separations is um, I'm gonna draw sort of, um, a parallel here. I, uh, I'm, I'm a product of the foster care system. In the foster care system, at the very least, there's an accountability, there's a social worker you can contact, you're given representation to be able to get what you need to, to be able to serve your child and be a good parent for them and the parent they need. That isn't offered as part of this. That doesn't happen as part of this situation at the border. And when Jenny speaks about compassion, that's what I lean on when I draw this parallel. Think about the compassion we have just as parents, just as human beings. When you hear, oh, you're from the foster system, oh my goodness, that must be terrible. Bingo. Same thing when you're at the border and you're separated from your parents. Oh my goodness, that must be terrible. And that compassion and that understanding can really go a long way with how we frame and characterize 
the way that the border separations conflict with our own ethics and our own values as a country that believes deeply in the core family unit and that core family unit's ability to provide and have the rights to their own children and how you raise them. Unless you are a descendant of First Nations, Native Americans, you come from immigrant families. Why is your family history more valuable than the family history of someone from Nicaragua? How is that different? People fled from Ireland in hordes because there was no food. Because, you know, okay, we have no potatoes. Everybody is starving and they got on a ship and they came here. How is that different from people who are now experiencing, if I stay here, my kid is gonna end up in a gang. If I stay here, my child could have a horrible future, not go to school and starve to death. How is that different? Because they're brown? Yes, because they're yeah. brown. Yeah. And I'm saying it and you can, you can say that on the air because that's the main reason. I, I think you make a really good point, Diana, in that um, that isn't what the U.S. was, what the America was built on. And frankly, if you build a nation on the current, on, 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 on a framework based on tearing apart and being and ripping things apart and not being together and recognizing that we are all humans, we all came here. I have a husband whose ancestry is Irish and I, he knows the history of his great grandparents working their fingers to the bone in factories for pennies a week because that's how the Irish were treated when they first immigrated here in droves. And that parallels so much with my grandmother and my great grandmother who worked their fingers to the bone picking strawberries and picking tomatoes and putting peaches <laughs> on the table for so many families. And it's that hard work and that um, willingness to pitch in and to do what needs to get done that built this nation. And right now that is stopping in a way, or there's an attempt to stop that. And I don't know how we can progress and become and continue to become really the nation that we should be and that we have historically been if we ignore that history, if we ignore that history. And I think, um, I'm glad you said it because they're brown, because that just makes me make that next easy leap to the fact that that's part of, that's part of why the Consejo Hispano um, is aligned with the Black Lives Matter movement. That's part of why this is, a, this is not a struggle just for Black and African Americans. This is not just a struggle about Latinos. This is not just a struggle about uh, people from the Pacific Islands, from Samoa, people from the Philippines, people from so many other countries that are brown and black <laughs> that also receive very similar treatment. Um, and it's about coming together and it's about knowing your history and knowing that, yes, you had a great grandmother who worked in a factory and it wasn't fair, and it got burned down, and lives were lost, and people were put in jeopardy. And so there were, so there were pushbacks, there were maybe not riots, but there were marches to change the conditions to improve things so that they could be treated like humans just because they existed. And that's exactly the same thing that we're continuing to do now, or that I continue to feel is the weight and the burden that any immigrants that come to the U.S. now carry. And that's it for the Human Beat this month. We've been talking with three representatives of Consejo Hispano. 
Executive Director Jenny Poole-Radway, Volunteer and Outreach Coordinator Deanna Nino, and Board Member Rosa Gilbert. I'm Roger Rocca. Thanks for listening.